0: Last summer, Sarah and I uh, took, I think it was probably the first real vacation we've taken in 12 years. Um, one of the things that I've committed to do as a pastor, in, in, now that I'm at Oil City Community Alliance, is something that uh, God has been using my mentor and coach, uh, Ron Morrison, to beat up on me f- for a long time about, and I finally decided to do it. I have never, in 12 years of ministry taken all of my vacation. Usually I don't take any vacation. I have committed that I will take every single day of my vacation, every year. Last summer was probably the first real vacation that Sarah and I have taken in 12 years. We don't plan on, and my, she keeps telling me we're not, but my intention is I'm not going to be here over Christmas. Christmas. Christmas service, somebody else is preaching it. I'm going to Kansas to take my wife back to see her parents and spend Christmas with her. She hasn't done that in in over a decade. So, but last summer, we went to New York City over the 4th of July. And we we spent time there. We met up with some friends, uh, Chris and Melissa. And and we spent time going around New York City. And I don't know, how many of you have ever been to the Big Apple? Raise your hand. So, it's kind of fun, Um, you know. I don't, I don't recommend July because it's hot. And with all those buildings, there's no wind. You know, like you can't, everything's blocking all the wind. So it's just, it's just hot. Amen. One of the things that I found out about New York, and this has nothing to do with my sermon. It just popped in my head and I think it's funny. As we were leaving the city, we're driving down the road. And I kid you not. I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. The road that we're on right in the middle of New York City, turned to logs it was a log road i mean not a log road like we're dragging logs out of the woods like there was no pavement there was enormous logs we were driving i'm like well that's just weird (laughs) so that's just to say for those of you who are a little bit rednecky there's a little redneck in new york too amen Uh, so but anyway we went out there, and, and, and so as we're going out to New York City, we, you know, we're thinking, we're going out there, man, we want to see, you know, we want to go to the Statue of Liberty, and it was just getting where it was opened back up, and we want to go do all these kind of things. You know, you have your list of stuff. If you're going to go to New York, you're like, got to do these things, because I don't know, I might go there and hate New York and never want to go back, so I need to knock it all out while I'm there the first time. Well, one of the things that we wanted to do was to see a Broadway play. Now, you've got to understand something. I'm not really a big theater guy. You know, I know that we have a lot of people in our church right now who are like, what sacrilege? You know, theater's awesome. I mean, theater's fine, but I'm not the guy that's going to spend a bunch of money to go to a play. You know, I am just, don't get me wrong. I've got stuff I'll spend money on that you probably wouldn't spend money on. I'm just saying everybody's got their hobbies and things they like to do. But Chris and Melissa, they are huge theater buffs. Um, What's our theater over in Franklin? The Barrow? So we have the Barrow over in Franklin, when we lived at, when we lived over in, um, when we were in Tennessee, we had um, the Roxy Theater, and so Chris and Melissa were like, every show that came to the Roxy, they would go, that was like their thing, they loved going to the theater, and so, I mean, they even went to the bad shows, but when I say the bad shows, I mean the flops, the stinkers, not not the inappropriate ones, but um <laughs> But anyways, they wanted to go to a Broadway play. So we get to look in, and we're like, what What do we want to do? What do we want to do? And Alicia loves the Lion King. Like, it's just her, it's her thing. Um, so anyways, so we're thinking, hey, let's look at the Lion King. Man, you want to talk about tickets that are high-priced? Those things are as high as a cat's back when he's hissing. <laughs> you know? I mean, woo, doggy. So we're like, dude, we can't do it. I mean, even Chris and Melissa, both of which are medical professionals and make decent money, are like, those things are too high. <laughs> we can't justify going to that. So we kind of said, well, we'll go by the box offices as we're walking around, maybe see if we can find some cheaper tickets. But yeah, probably not, so maybe we won't do it. Well, as we're walking down the street, we go by the, the box office for the amazing Spider-Man. And we're like, Spider-Man? Is a Broadway musical? It's kind of weird, but but we, we poked our head in, and they had some video going of what the show looked like, and as we watched the video, we're like, this might actually be kind of cool. I mean, the storyline might stink. The music might stink, but I mean, we saw people on the video flying around the auditorium all over it by wires. I mean, flying up over the crowd. It was crazy. So we're like, this might be entertaining just to see all these people flying through the air. You know, we don't know what the rest of it's going to be like. So, so we went to see The Amazing Spider-Man, and the, the show was cool. I mean, at one point, we're sitting up in the balcony, and this is, I would say that theater is not much, the seating area of that theater is not much deeper than ours. Way higher ceilings, but the balcony, like, you know, like, my knee, if I were, I think we were sitting in a, we had a walkway, but the guy behind me's knee was as high as my shoulder. You know, like it was one of those balconies that's really straight up and down. We're sitting there, and Sarah, at one point during the show, goes, Whoa! because Spider Man is standing next to her getting ready to launch off of the balcony. Let me just tell you something. We got decent price tickets. I don't remember how much we spent, a little over $30 way cheaper than the Lion King. If you go to New York City and they're still showing The Amazing Spider-Man, I'm not a big theater buff. Go. It is totally worth it. It was, it was, I don't want to say awesome because only God is awesome, but it was like one step shy of awesome, right? It was just, well, it was amazing. <laughs> the Amazing Spider-Man, right? So anyways, it was, oh, can I get a little cheese with that joke? <laughs> so... But, um, Anyways, but as I got to thinking about this experience and, and, and all of this stuff, you know, we're kind of fascinated with superheroes in our modern times. I mean, Western culture especially, but even around the world, the, the fascination with superheroes is just spreading like wildfire. I mean, if you think about it, think about how many of these movies lately have been remade, right? Right? I mean, you've got... How many times has it the Spider-Man series been remade? Like, it's on its third iteration. Batman's on, like, its fourth or fifth iteration. You know, they're just making the stories over. And and they tweak them a little bit, but it's pretty much the same story. You know? I mean, it just boggles the mind. I mean, Superman. And now they're redoing the Superman. You know, and we had the Superman television show, and we had Batman and Robin television show. And, I mean, it's just... We're remaking these stories, and then... You know, Marvel has apparently come on to just, they're probably rich. That guy, uh, whatever that guy's name is, that creates Stan Lee, um, you know, that guy's probably rolling in the dough because, I mean, they're just taking every superhero movie or every superhero car- comic book that he ever created and are making movies out of it, right? Because people are just fascinated. It's just It boggles my mind. And one of the things that all these superheroes seem to have in in, in common with one another is sometimes a direct statement, but, but if not a direct statement, at least the implication that they have an indestructible life. I mean, Batman, for instance, he has no real superpowers. Batman is not like a superpower guy. He's just highly trained. But I mean, you can't keep this guy down, you know? I mean, hopefully I don't ruin a worship song for you, but the song "Our God," you know, it says in the second verse, "Out of the ashes we were." You know what I'm trying to say? Out of the ashes we rise. I mean, hello, Batman, no superpowers, and yet you know, it's like watching pro wrestling. You know, you think the guy's unconscious, and all of a sudden, his hand comes up. you You know, it's like, no, I'm still in it. You know, and you're like, where is where is this coming from? So. There's this implication, I mean, with Batman there's no superpowers, but this implication that he has an indestructible life. Spider-Man, same thing. Superman, same thing. I mean, you just think Thor, same thing. Think about it. All of these movies, this implication is that they have this indestructible life. Let's go back again to why these movies are all being remade, though. At first, as I considered why all these movies were being remade... I thought, you know, it's probably because of the major advancements in special effects. But let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. No matter how cool the special effects are, if the story stinks, the movie's not going to make it. I mean, think about all the ones that flopped. Green Lantern, you know, different ones. I mean, they had really cool special effects. as the story stunk, it was a no-go. It didn't make it. I mean, you can have, special effects don't make a movie. It's got to, I mean, the special effects are cool, but it's got to have a good storyline. I mean, let me give you another example. Not necessarily about superheroes, but the hero does seem to have an indestructible life because he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. (laughs) Princess Bride, right? (laughs) Right? So he meets Miracle Max and, you know, to believe. He said to believe. No, anyways. The special effects in that movie, well, they're just not that special. I mean, Andre the Giant, when he throws that boulder, you're like, dude, why did the wind not blow that away? That is clearly a piece of styrofoam that has been painted, (laughs) you know? And so, you know, like, not that special. But story is very funny, and it's lasted the test of time. You know, it it doesn't matter. So to me, I think the story is, is what... Makes it keep going. This got me thinking that that maybe the reason that they're being remade constantly is because somewhere inside of our deepest self, and down in the depths of our innermost being, we want one of these stories to actually be true. We need a superhero. Someone with an indestructible life who can swoop in and save the day. I mean, there's this deep desire to have somebody just step in and intervene and with miraculous powers and just fix it all. Don't believe me? Every time we have a general election, we know that the politicians lie, but we expect them to step in like a superhero and save the day. Somewhere inside of us, we want it to be true that somebody has these powers to just swoop in and save the day. Someone who who also can not only swoop in and save the day, but but maybe challenge us to rise to the occasion and, and become more than we thought we could be. I mean, how many times in these superhero movies do they rally the people to stand up to the villain? And we want it to be this way. We want to see ourselves rise above who we are. Good news. Even though these superhero stories are just modern myths, the reasons we keep reinventing them is because their basic idea of the indestructible superhero is actually based in truth. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7 starting in verse 15. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. You might be reading from something else. That's okay. You'll get the same gist out of this. Let's start reading there together in verse 15. You follow along in your Bible. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of Him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such with an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, You are a priest forever with your indestructible life. I added that last part. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. These ideas of a hero with an indestructible life are actually based in truth. Let me put it in another way to you before we pray and go on with the Scripture. Billy Graham says this, that the world's religions are man desperately reaching out to God. There's a basis of truth there. That this relationship with God is marred and needs restored. And so man is desperately groping for God. But they're, they're not true. There's a basis for them. The spark of truth that's there. And then Billy Graham goes on to say, But God chose to reach back to man through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This indestructible life something that's so critical so let's pray father even though maybe superhero illustrations are a little silly um, nonetheless i believe you've led me to use it this week i thank you for the affirmation on friday night at camp um when when pastor dan preached that even affirmed even more what i was supposed to do and i'd already made the sermon and and yet he used some of the same things and said some of the same things and i'm like you're speaking this to two of your of your of your chosen servants and so i thank you for that we just ask that everything that happens today will be for your glory and for your honor and it's in jesus name we pray and god's people said amen you know so some folks and, and you might be one of them are finding it hard to think of jesus in terms of being a superhero because it seems like silliness but the basic ideas that you see commonly displayed in the superhero stories or the superhero myths are all present in the real history of Jesus. Just let me throw this out here real quick. It's a sidebar, but it's important. Stop using the word Bible story. Bible story implies made up, say, biblical narratives. The history in the Bible. These are real things. These are not stories. They're truth. They're historical, factual events. You don't get out your American history book and say, yes, we're going to read some American stories. You say, we're going to read some American history. Okay? True things that happened. But So these, these biblical histories, these things, I mean, it's all evidence in the, in the life of Jesus, in the real history of Jesus. The first aspect of those basic superhero requirements is present right here in Hebrews chapter 7. Right? Jesus is more than a mere man. He is totally indestructible. It's in verse 16. I'm not going to get into the Greek word for indestructible for you. It means the same thing with the English one. Like sometimes when we, we look at these words and I get into the Greek, we miss some nuances of the definition because it doesn't translate well. There's no perfect word to translate it This one's pretty good. Indestructible. Cannot be destroyed. Thus will continue forever and ever and ever and ever. Right? This is Jesus. This is the basic truth of, of the superhero myths but it's present right here in the real history of Jesus. There is nothing that can destroy Him, kill Him, or even come close to stopping Him. Sidebar, very quickly. Do you know why I know the resurrection happened? Because Jesus never sinned. And if sin is the penalty of death, and Jesus never sinned, there's no way possible that death could hold Him. Because it's only a penalty of sin. So even death isn't death to him. We sang that in one of our songs this morning. trampling over death by death. I mean, it would be like Superman saying, I eat kryptonite for breakfast. You know? Nothing can come close to stopping him. Here are a few things that tried, though. And you'll see some similarities here with the, with the superhero stories. An evil genius that ends up not being such a genius after all. Right? Satan. This evil genius who, who ends up not being so smart after all. I mean, Satan puts it in, in their hearts to betray Jesus, to, to to crucify him, to kill him, and in the end, it proves his ultimate undoing. Right? The evil genius can't overcome. I mean, I love it, I love it the way that they do in Chronicles of Narnia with with um, I can't remember her name, but you know, the white witch, yeah. Um, When she comes in there and, you know, she's bargaining, she wants Edmund's life, and and Aslan gives his life in place, and she walks out, she's like, poof. You're going down like chumps. I got him. I got him. And Aslan goes, and he puts himself on the stone table, and and he's strapped down, and they cut his main off and they kill him and then the look of horror on her face when she wakes up the next day and sees the stone table cracked and Aslan's gone like this evil genius who who in the end was actually kind of a moron can't stop him this is akin to all the villains in the movies you think they got him? You think all oh, this plan is going to work, and then it boop, it fails. Right? The second one, a corrupt government. Right? How many of the movies do you see? Some government gets involved, in, and they're corrupt, and they're going to help take them down. I mean, even in even in the one story in Batman, like they get Gotham to turn against Batman. Right? The government does, and they they start hunting him as a criminal. This is kind of like Pontius Pilate, right? The corrupt Roman government. It's present there. Can't hold him down. It can't stop him. It can't kill him. I mean, Jesus, think about what he says to Pilate. There's no authority except for God, and you wouldn't have any authority over me unless He gave it to you. You you, you can't you couldn't take my life unless God let you. I know you think you're in charge, but really. God in heaven's in charge of this whole thing. What's another one? How about people who were jealous of his power? This is like the Jewish religious leaders jealous of his power, right? So they always want to trip him up. This is this is like uh, Mr. Jamison, the editor of the Daily Bugle. You know, he's jealous of Spider Man. He's jealous of everything, and so he's he wants his power for himself, so he's gonna he's gonna get the exclusive photos, and he's gonna get all this stuff, and he's gonna take Jesus' power and use it for himself for his own twisted advantage. Another thing is the the people who wanted his power for their own. Not just being jealous of it and trying to twist it, but but you know, more like Judas Iscariot. Who had an agenda. Who who wanted something to go the way that he thought it should go. And so he was going to force Jesus' hand. This is kind of like Buddy in The Incredibles. Who we find out later is Syndrome. Right? Who wants to be the sidekick of of Mr. Incredible. You know, he's a little kid. Mr. Incredible, go home, Buddy. Go home. You know? And, And Buddy tries to force... Mr. Incredible's hand, doesn't he, in that movie? Brings him out to the island, tries to force his hand. Because he wants to use it around for his own twisted purposes. Best quote ever. And when everybody's super, no one will be. You know, Syndrome says that. I mean, even his own human side couldn't stop him. You've got to understand something here. I don't know what the kenosis totally means. And when you say the kenosis, it's the Greek word where it talks about Jesus becoming less, so emptying himself, however that whole thing works. Theologians have been debating this for thousands of years. I don't think we're ever going to understand it this side of heaven. So please don't get caught up in trying to understand it. Well, the bottom line is the scriptures teach this. Jesus was fully man while fully God how does that work that's where we get caught up in that kenosis word I don't know God does and if I'm not too busy worshiping when I get to heaven I'll ask right but even his own human side I mean he went after being filled with the spirit after the spirit of God descended and landed on him like a dove he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted to eat one of the things I mean hello that's his human side But even that couldn't overcome him. That's that's like the human side of all of these superheroes. They have normal day-to-day needs. I mean, Batman has got to run Wayne Enterprises. You know? But it can't hold him down. I mean, even in the newer ones, Dark Knight, when Wayne Enterprises tanks, Batman, he still pulls it together somehow. Right? Right? You think about it, these are all based in in the story of Jesus Christ. Even his own deep love for others could not keep him down. This is like Batman loving Vicki Vale. Or or Superman loving Lois Lane. Or or Spider-Man loving Mary Jane Watson. Their love seemed to undo him. Spider-Man actually loses his Spidey vision. And it has to start wearing his glasses again because of his love. I mean, his love is going to undo him. But in the end, his love, which seemed to be his greatest weakness, ends up being his most powerful asset. Only the difference is with Jesus that he gave his very life in order to secure our freedom. And yet out of the grave, our hero emerged three days later. I'm afraid nobody's listening. Because everybody's sitting there like a bump on a log, and I just just talked about the greatest thing that's ever happened in history. You will go insane if the Steelers win a Super Bowl. But we can't even get excited about the fact that Jesus looked like He was down and out, looked like it was over, and then three days later they show up at the grave, and baby, He's gone. I mean, we should be excited about that. We should be cheering. We should be telling people about it. This is the greatest moment in history. I think we have a song that goes something like that. The greatest day in history, right? Isn't that about His resurrection? I mean, come on. And it's not that the resurrection is what's so awesome. It's that the resurrection proved that what Jesus did on the cross worked. And it was so awesome. And we should get excited about this. But you know what we do? I, I can't tell people about this, though, Pastor, because if, because if I tell them about it, they'll they'll, they'll think I'm a Jesus freak, and, and, and it'll be so awkward, and they might make fun of me. I can tell them about what happened with the Pirates. I mean, come on, man, the Pirates have the best record in, in the National League since May 2nd. They don't have the best record overall, but I mean, we don't mind telling people about that. You know, we will we will put this stuff on Facebook, we'll do all kinds of crazy stuff. But the greatest day in history, when Jesus' love proved to be his greatest asset, we just we just sit here like bumps on log, we don't say anything. Why? It doesn't make any sense. We should be getting excited about this. I mean, maybe thinking about Jesus in terms of being a superhero is a bit of a stretch for you. But if but if you come this far with me and haven't checked out, let me carry this thing through to completion, okay? You're probably asking in your head, what difference does this make in my life? Well, thank you for asking. I will tell you. (laughs) The one thing the real story of Jesus does not have, does not have in common with these myths about other superheroes is that in the end of Jesus' story, he does something remarkable. Wait for it. Jesus doesn't keep his superpowers to himself. Instead, he grants his abilities to every one of his faithful followers. Oh, come on. Seriously? Jesus doesn't keep his superpower abilities to himself, he grants it to every one of his faithful followers. I mean, that's exciting. It's like the biggest myth of Christianity. Okay, come to Jesus Christ and, and you and we'll get saved and then and then you can work it out yourself and you'll be able to live a holy Christian life. Ha! No, you can't. But he will give you the power via his spirit. He will fill you with the power. You have to t- t- tap into his supernatural abilities. This may actually seem like an overly fanciful claim on my part. But let's consider what Jesus actually said concerning this. His literal words, translated into English. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will He do, because I'm going to the Father. Now, the, now, there's a lot of churches out there that teach, yeah, greater, more people will get saved. That's what He meant by greater. But we won't be able to do miracles. Really? That's what Jesus meant, really? Like, has anybody read the book of Acts? Come on. Have you read the book of Acts? If you have, I mean, really? That's what he meant? Oh, and those people will say, well, yeah, 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 but that was just for the apostles. Oh, I address that with Scripture. This is just one of the, yeah. Out of the John reference, it's just one of the many examples where Jesus said that for us to expect supernatural abilities to flow through us, you're going to see a lot of those in your homework for this week. But the book of Acts is full of examples where this statement proves to mean exactly what it says at face value. Take, for instance, Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. Peter and John heal the lame beggar. They're coming up to the temple. This is right after the the onset of the church. They're coming up to the temple. They're going. Solomon's portico is outside of the temple. And the the Jews had these crazy laws that said dirty people can't come inside. Sometimes we as a church say that. Dirty people can't come inside. So what did Jesus do? He met the dirty people who weren't allowed inside the religious institution out there in Solomon's portico. Guys begging. John and Peter... In a moment of just amazing faith, believing, say, silver, gold, I have none. But what I do have, I give you the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the dude has been lame since birth. And if you read the story, he doesn't just stand up and walk. He gets up and starts leaping and running. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen a baby go from not walking to leaping and running like that. This guy's never walked. He has no idea how to do it. God supernaturally intervenes. He gives him the knowledge to use the supernatural touch. What uh, What about Acts 16, verses 16 through 18? By the way, I think they were able to do this without going and having a big prayer meeting because they'd already had a big prayer meeting. They were prayed up all the time. So in the moment, they didn't have to say, well, let me pray about what we're supposed to do here. Like they had already been speaking to God, so they knew what they were supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you get in a prayer meeting, guys, we hear what God's saying. We don't have to go when the opportunity comes. Oh, well, let me pray about it for two weeks. If there's anything that I'd like to see happen in our church over the next 10 years, is people to stop saying, well, let me pray about it for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. Not because you don't pray about it. But because you've already been in concerted prayer so regularly, so consistently, so faithfully that when God speaks, you're like, yeah, or I'm not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be somebody else. Like we can get to there, but that's beside the point. Paul and Silas are walking along and there is this girl. And by the way, every form of divination is from Satan. Fortune cookies. I know I'm going off the deep end. It's divination. It's a it's a gateway in. By the way, nobody starts on crack cocaine. They start on a gateway drug first. Stop reading your fortune cookie. Crack the cookie open, wad the piece of paper up, throw it in the trash, and eat the cookie. You're fine. Okay? Stop reading your horoscope. Do you know how many Christians I see post their horoscope? Stop it! It should agitate you with the Spirit of God inside of you. Paul and Silas are going along and the little girl is following them, the little fortune-telling girl who has an evil spirit in her who is speaking accurately. Paul's finally had enough of it. He's like, they're walking along. He just gets mad, turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Boy, this gets them arrested because she does. The demon does come out of her. They wrecked this, this whole business. And Okay, what about another one? Now, I messed this story up a little bit last time. Only halfway. Dorcas wasn't the one who fell out of the window, but Dorcas was raised from the dead. In Acts 9, 36-43, Peter raises Dorcas from the dead after she'd fallen ill and died. I thought that was only Jesus who did that. No. it's Apparently, it's Peter and Elijah... And Elisha, and Jesus. I mean, multiple people do this. Crazy, right? Well, in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, Paul raises Eutychus from the dead. Eutychus is the one who fell out of the window and died. And Paul goes down there and raises Eutychus from the dead. He's not really dead, guys. Ah, uh, he's, he's good. He's good. <laughs> right? I mean, crazy. God has endowed them with this. Who's seen the movie Faith Like Potatoes? Anybody seen that? I encourage you to watch it. True story about a about a guy who went to South Africa to farm. He goes in and raises a little girl from the dead who got hit by lightning. By the way, he was just as surprised as everybody else was. Like he didn't go in there and be like, Ugh. they just man, they knew he was a man of God, they came to get him. He prays over her and she gets up. And he's like, he I mean, he's just a surprise. I mean, why are we surprised when God shows up? But no, no, no. I mean, I know, I know. It, it's it's only for the it's only for the apostles, really? What about Ananias? Not the Ananias who falls down dead because he lied to the Holy Spirit. The other Ananias in the book of Acts. Who comes and lays hands on Paul and restores his sight? He was not an apostle. See, in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Joel saying, This promise is for you and for your kids and for your children's children. All of them. That God's power will flow through your hands, through your words through your giftings and your callings, God will flow through you His power. I mean, Paul also, in Acts 28, 1-10, through instantly heals Publius' father. In Acts chapter 2, oh, I already said that. See, this is how God wants to work. Guys, the miracles didn't stop with the apostles because Jesus took his spirit away. Miracles have died out because we don't believe that we have the power. Just like when, when Spider-Man puts down and has to start wearing his glasses again, he starts walking around with, with messed up eyesight. The power was still there. It's just dormant in him because he wasn't exercising the power. I'm suggesting to you that you have access to god's holy spirit his personal being will come in and fill you and he comes into you on the day you're saved but filling you and anointing you are different than dwelling in you you go through the book of acts and read about it he talks about in and on and when the spirit of god is on somebody crazy things happen if you're born again the spirit of god's in you but on you different story different story Guys, Jesus grants these supernatural abilities to us via the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And, and I already said that, but this doesn't mean that every person is going to see the exact same types of superma- supernatural manifestations. As the next person. It means that God supernaturally endows us with his Spirit, and in doing so, the miraculous can happen as part of the normal Christian life. The church in America is not living the normal Christian life. We are living a powerless and defeated gospel in most churches. I'm just being honest. I'm just telling you what I see as I look around at the church. It's not the normal Christian life. If I had nothing to go by but the Bible, I would expect crazy things to happen. At Crossroads, the first church we planted, I was a brand new believer I had been a believer less than a year when we planted a church. I didn't have 20 years of church history and, and life living in a dead church. I was just reading the Bible. He said, you'll do these things. We're reading the book of Acts. We're seeing this kind of stuff happening. We're just naive enough to believe God. We said, okay, bam, stuff happens. Miracles happen. I remember one night standing there it, it service on a sunday evening which by the way people say sunday evening services don't work anymore let me tell you what happens when god shows up people will come to church so we're standing there at service and no i'm not starting a sunday evening service i don't feel led of all at all of God got to do that i'm not opposed to that but i don't feel like that's what god wants us to do and if we did do it it wouldn't be an extra service it would be just like this one same message but anyway i digress let me go back to this real quick so we have You know, we're reading in the Bible, and and, and one night I'm standing there, and the Spirit of the Lord speaks to me and says, There's a girl here who's a witch. Call her out. I call her out. Man, I had elders of the church come up to me afterwards and go, You you talked to her beforehand. Because she came and got delivered. You knew beforehand. I said, No, I didn't. The elders had had 20 years of history in other churches, 30 years of history in other churches. Hadn't seen God's Spirit flow freely. Guys, I said something crazy from on Tuesday night at the conclusion of the message at camp and almost every single kid responded. Some for salvation, some to heal broken relationships with their parents and with others. Some because they said, man, I've not been, God's calling me to be a match, to be a fire starter where I'm at. Anyway, I'm not going to, going to go away from that but i want you to understand the normal christian life the normal christian life is one where supernatural abilities are endowed upon us and we're to use them if you don't believe me go read 1 corinthians chapter 12 it doesn't say only during the apostle's lifetime does he give everybody all these gifts that are be used for the building up of the church he says this is how it is and so it's either how it is or let's all pack up and go home i quit but I'm not quitting because I know that's how it is. I've seen the power of God. I think we don't see the power of God flow because we don't believe it can. What I'm trying to say is it's our responsi- responsibility to believe that God has granted us these abilities. To discover specifically the way he has done this. And then to operate in that gifting is led by him. You want to know what your spiritual gifts with an S are? First, believe that He gave you some. All this nonsense about people only get one, and I'm not saying I've heard that from anybody here, but I've heard preachers preach that. Everybody gets one spiritual gift. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible, and that's not what I've experienced in my life either. Okay? I don't have them all. But God's Spirit works in me via different things. It's my job as a believer to discover how. And I can help you to go through that process. And let me tell you what it does not involve. A survey. (laughs) Stop taking spiritual gift surveys. They are more harmful than helpful. That has been my... my, uh, discovery that i've discovered is that people who take spiritual gift surveys walk away more confused about what their gifts are because it relies on past experience what if god wants to gift you in a new way you get to the question about speaking in tongues and you've never spoken in tongues and so you're like nope and the present of the of a prayer language might be laying right there for you to experience and you don't even open it because well i've never had that happen in the past I'm going to say there was a moment when Peter was asked, well, have you ever done a miracle? He's going to go, nope. But that didn't stop him when he was walking along. Hey, silver or gold, I have none in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Oh, but what if I'm wrong? What if I do it and it doesn't work? Oh, well. That's why I always preface it, and I believe that you should preface it too, is I think this is what the Lord's saying. Maybe he's not because I'm fallible. I'll make a mistake. Thank God we're under the New Testament times, and this is one of the differences. We no longer get stoned to death when we mess it up. We get to stand up and say, I messed up. Forgive me. Okay? And then to use those gifts is led by him. Now, I have the gift of evangelism. It's one of my spiritual gifts. Let me tell you, when I first started trying to use the gift of evangelism, people weren't getting saved. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean you know how to use it. I mean, I could go give the gift of a basketball right now to John, and it doesn't mean John all of a sudden is Michael Jordan. He needs to use that ball and practice with it and get the feel of it and start start messing with it and start throwing it up there at the hoop. Just because you get gifted with something doesn't mean you're an expert in its use. I, I can tell you that really happens a lot of times when people have prophetic word or word of knowledge gifting and they and they 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 oh i got it and they say it and man they make everybody mad when they do it you know and people can't receive it cuz they don't know how to use it anyways i digress but i don't want you to believe me i want you to take god's word for it on monday the homework for this week h o n e sharpening the sword work for this week is John chapter 14, verses 8. That's not supposed to say 81. (laughs) John chapter 14, verses 8 through 14. Tuesday, Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 20. Wednesday, Acts 1, 4 through 11. Thursday, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Friday, Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. And Saturday, Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. Now, I just want to tell you what the crown jewel of the homework is for this week. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. That's the crown jewel of the whole thing. Because that passage of Scripture tells us that we are fellow partakers of the divine nature. It actually uses those words. We are fellow partakers of the divine nature. Think about what the divine nature is. It's supernatural. I love using this illustration. This is what I'm going to close with and then we're going to pray. Okay. When did your eternal life begin? Get your answer in your head. Now I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the biblical answer. Never. Your eternal life never began. Eternal means no beginning and no end. Well, how does that work then? Because when you were born again, you became a fellow partaker of the divine nature and His life came into you. You became a partaker of that on the day you got saved. But it has no beginning, it has no end. It's His life in you. Or else it's not eternal. Eternal does not mean without end. It means without either end. Look it up. That's what it means. No beginning, no end. And it is more than just for when you go to heaven. God wants to be involved in life here and now. But we're going to be talking a lot more about this in the coming years. If the Holy Spirit and, and the supernatural makes you nervous, that's okay. I was nervous too. But when God shows up, He starts working and doing crazy things in our lives. Amen? Amen. And so let's trust Him. And let's learn to use these things. Let's pray. Father, We thank you. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to each one of us. Lord, help us to see that unlike the superhero stories about Batman and Spider-Man and Thor and Captain America and all of those different characters, unlike those stories, the real hero, the one that we all desperately need, the one that all of these are trying to emulate, he says, not only do I have power, but I will share it with you. I will grant it to you. As it says in, in, in that Second Peter passage, that he has granted us very precious and great promises, that we are fellow partakers of the divine nature. Lord, may that be so in our lives. Lord, I pray not only for those who are here this morning, but Lord, I pray for all of those who are on vacation, out of town, doing the 4th of July thing. I pray that for them. Lord, not only for them, I also pray for those who don't even know this is their church yet that haven't even attended here once, Lord, not only for them, I pray that for, for the church of God up on the hill, and I pray that for the United Brethren churches around the area, and I pray that for all of the Bible-believing churches around the area, that people would begin to operate in your power as led by you, because when that happens, the oil region will no longer be known for crude that comes out of the ground, but it will be known for the oil of God, the anointing of God that comes from heaven, and we ask you to do it because you're so awesome. because you want to God's people said Amen. Amen